So the meaning of life, oh my God, where to begin? Um, meaning of life, meaning in life, mm-hmm. meaning for yourself, or de- define the sentence you'd like us to tackle. Okay. Meaning, meaning in life, I think is more interesting to me because meaning of life can be pretty simplified into Darwinian terms of you wanna, you survive, wanna... reproduce. Oh, we're on the same page. Fantastic. All right, nice. So, yeah, uh, the literal meaning of life is to live, I think. Right, like, yeah. It, that's all it is. It's, it's physical compulsions. We're trying to survive. Mm-hmm. But we've got that one just about solved. So Especially so now, we, yeah. My God, meaning in life. And uh, midst of a plague, I think, I think a lot of people are questioning that. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Well, I suppose the broadest answer is we, we find personal meaning in life. Right. Uh, I've got some mild reading material. This is The Weight of Things by Jean Caziz. I've never I, heard of him. Uh, I believe female, actually. But uh, that, that is a lovely book, and it deals with the philosophical question of living a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. So I believe that's quite t- close to what we're looking at in terms of tr- trying to find meaning for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And from there, I think the jump... There we go. I want to keep that thing about a fist away from your face. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so trying to trying to live a meaningful life. We try to find meaning for ourselves. We want to define ourselves. It mm-hmm. is it's a huge thing within culture. Every generation tries to define themselves differently. Um and we managed to do that to a certain degree. Oh, the boomers are this and oh, the millennials are that and you zoomers are some real weird nihilists. Oh my god. <laughs> But coming as a millennial myself, like I'm, I'm a weird intermediary. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for all those broad classifications, in terms of oh, what's the meaning of ge- this generation? What have they accomplished? Everyone struggles with finding that personal meaning. And just as in the literal personal, the literal meaning of life and the purpose of it. Sorry, I've lost myself. We're we're on the hunt. Mm-hmm. We try to define it by what we do. So if you ask someone who's a little older, like, oh, what have you done with your life? Or what's, what's made it a meaningful or fulfilling life? They will tell you about things they've done. They will tell you some grand stories about things they have accomplished, perhaps regrets they have. And hopefully they'll, they will have found some meaning. Um, we talked a a little bit about the literal kids. Mm -hmm. Children are incredibly meaningful in terms of like, oh my God, I've reproduced. I've made this new tiny person Mm -hmm. and I could fuck them up real bad, but I'm not (laughs) careful. That's why parenting is so, so stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So we, we search for meaning in life. We try to find a purpose for our lives in doing this, and that's what defines our meaning. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, you can take just about any career, ask someone who's been doing it all their lives, and I will bet you that they will tell you how performing that job 
has not only affected themselves in that literal meaning of life, how to survive mm-hmm. in our culture, but when they really smile, when they really tell you about how their job has fulfilled them, it's what they do for other people. Right. So if you want some grand raison d'etre for the, the reason of life, it's being part of something greater. Mm-hmm. So, lots of people search for that higher power in God. I think, whether we've realized it or not, we find it in society. We find it in helping each other. We find it in providing services and hopefully creations that will advance humanity. And yeah, I think, I think you touch on a lot of really cool things there. and It definitely is a... It, it is multifaceted, and I think that it does start off that that base layer is it's a, it's surviving. A, once and that's you, the fundamental. Yeah, exactly. So once you can survive, then and and like you said, then then a part of that Darwinian perspective is survive and reproduce. And then once you once you actually reproduce, then that becomes purpose. And and I think that through that experience of surviving that we, we do find purpose in life. So there's a, there's definitely, there's a meaning and a purpose to life. And those, those, those come hand in hand and you can't really have one without the other. And I think what you said about the, about generations, I always find that funny because I've, I've read a decent amount of literature on what generations thought of each other as they were growing up. And there was this one quote and it was, it was talking about the, the next generation. It said, that they were lazy and entitled and spoiled and they were, they were brutal. And, oh, and my, that w- my generation <laughs> is ruining industries. I'm a millennial, right? We're ruining the marriage industry, yeah, we're ruining yeah. the food industry. And, and that quote was from, that was the, the lost generation talking about the greatest generation. And so that's, I think that's something that people don't really realize is that we've always had this weird generational superiority complex of, even the the grade younger than you is is full of idiots and okay boomer <laughs> that's the new one that's and it yeah. goes both ways yeah um and and we're i think because we work on such huge scaffolding for how our lives are built that it's oh it is ignorant and easy to dismiss previous generations oh the the boomers like my dad had it easy. There was mm-hmm. a generation lost from the greatest generation. Right. And the boomers got to fill that in and looking up at them were like, oh my God, they had it easy. You could work a minimum wage job, buy a house and feed five kids. Right. Yeah. And, and we see that as like, oh, you had it easy. And they look at us like, no, you have it easy. Technology, mm. we provided everything. I was like, I can't buy a goddamn piece of property anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so the, I, think, I think we focus too much on that. Mm-hmm. As, as specific as we like to get with, oh, this is wrong, or like, you guys fucked this up, or you guys are destroying this that we've established there's always going to be chaos mm-hmm. when it comes to those subsequent generations, but all of us are looking for that purpose, for that meaning in life, and it's always going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. I think, like, 
Philosophy has dealt with it for thousands of years. The Greeks back in the day, pondering for days on end. There's a lovely thing in The Weight of Things that describes something of martyrs and monks and the strange lifestyles they lead in trying to live a, a meaningful and fulfilled life. And it's a man who's spent decades building great pillars of artistry and then he spends a decade standing on top, sitting in the sun, getting burnt, getting destroyed by nature, essentially. Mm-hmm. But claiming fulfillment as people flock to him for philosophical answers. Mm-hmm. And he, he proclaims that in helping those people and in living this life, he is fulfilled. I think we can argue that I would not want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I would not want want to stand on a pillar and subject myself to suffering to gather people and try to pass on that knowledge. I don't, I wouldn't find that fulfilling for myself. Mm-hmm. And yet he does. So I don't think I can claim that he has not lived a fulfilling life if he well and truly believes it. But it's not my answer. It's not yours. It, it won't be many people's. And so each of us as individuals search for this meaning and purpose. And, and it's, it's, it's a lifetime. Right. And I think a lot of the times you can, you can create meaning in things. Uh, finding a purpose I, I find a lot more difficult. I think that's actually having to, to seek something out that, that really calls you and, and beckons you. And that's something that I've found interesting in the past is there are things that just grab you and you, you have an experience and in this book called The Alchemist, they call it beginner's luck where something that you're going to be great at one day, you start off quite good with it just because there's a little bit of luck. The universe tosses you a couple bucks as, a, as it gets started. It's a little bit of an investment into you and then, and then from there you're able to grow because you have this positive feedback from it initially and then that, that sparks your love for it. Um, and that's, that's more difficult to find. You actually have to, I think you have to look for that a little bit more, but I think that to find meaning is a little bit simpler in the sense that the problem is it's broad. Yeah. I I think I've already, I've given you the base, the base meaning to life. We've, we've solved the question already. Yeah. It's, it's finding purpose, finding greater meaning, Mm -hmm. something along those lines, but that's broad in general that. That won't help most of our listeners right yeah. off the get-go. Yeah. And, and God, we want to try, don't we? Mm-hmm. So let, let me give you a personal example. You're quite right. We, we get that like flash point of luck. Mm-hmm. And so in our search for meaning, hopefully we find that something meaningful, a contribution to something greater, participation in a higher power of some kind, I consider I continue to think society is that that greater power. It is more than us as individuals. It is a grand conglomeration and survival of us that is based on, again, the scaffolding of generations before yeah. that we rely on and that we can continue to build for the next generation. And so once we can f- like recognize that bit of meaning, you're right, we, we struggle to find purpose how do we fulfill that meaning for ourselves that can hinge on that little bit of luck mm-hmm. so we are we are a very very privileged 
generation at this point where we can ponder such things. Mm-hmm. We've, we've basically taken care of that fundamental meaning and purpose of like, just survive. Yeah. We've survived and now we're bored. We're bored and we're, we're trying to fill that like anxiety of like, oh my God, what do I do for the rest of my life? And like, enjoy myself or not e- not even having to enjoy yourself, but feeling like you are fulfilled and part of something. I think that's a really good point because a lot of the times when you're, when you're seeking that fulfillment, when you're seeking that purpose, a lot of the times it's not fun because you're going through, you're going through lots of personal turmoil to get there because that, that does take a, a series of rebirths of your personality and you learn new things about yourself and you're constantly developing yourself. And a lot of the times it's not, it's not a lot of fun because realization epiphany. And here's, here's the hard part, everyone hard work. Yeah. Oh my God. I can, I can, we can philosophize all day. I can tell you some personal meanings. I found the purposes I'm striving toward. And what I'm struggling with now is, is effort. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. The amount of, frustration you can feel when you when you really try and here's the scary part when you try you can fail that's that's a huge part of it that was um and you're like i found i found the thing i have found love Mm -hmm. but you get rejected yeah is it a good thing or a bad you can you can still feel love and find like a higher purpose in that but but you can fail at it the other person may not have any personal interest in you. You, you may overstep some bounds in your pursuit of this, but uh, but it is a strange and effortful thing to try and fulfill the purpose and meaningful things in your life. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll give you my personal example so sure. you can get something a little more concrete. I've thirty now. I've struggled with it for many years. Uh, I found my meaning in a, in a higher purpose. I want to, I want to be part of society. You want to mm. contribute. You want to create something as university students. You're like, I want to, I want to do some meaningful research right. and add to the, the vast doors of knowledge that we have. And I found some purpose and meaningfulness in that. Mm-hmm. So do you mind if I just make sure the recording? Absolutely. I've had a few experiences where oh. always been bad. My friend and I did four hours. Wait, wait until you get the recording done and then you accidentally delete it all. <laughs> yeah. lost, lost to time, but not to fate. Because we can figure it out again. Yeah. Every generation has to. Every individual strives to. Mm-hmm. So, so I found my meaning. I want to I contribute to society in some way. You want to you wanna help. Now, I've met people. You've met people. We've all met people. Uh, the most base and crass reduction of it today, I'd say, is Karens. You, they're, they're everywhere. People, mm-hmm. it's a milling horde, and you can't <laughs> change them all. Oh my, we can take it in terms of this plague, how many people, ourselves included at this moment, don't wear masks in public. There's mm-hmm. a chance of exposure. It may be a horrible thing. And you're not going to convince everyone. Mm-hmm. You're not going to force them to do it, not in a, a great and meaningful way. So I ended up choosing not to, to go the direct route of, of changing people. What I found meaningful 
this in is, is the scaffolding we're built on? Knowledge. So I started searching for a career that would help me do that. And in the end, I, I wish to be a librarian. Mm-hmm. I wish to hoard vast stores of books. Well, it'll, it'll soon be uh, technology now. Right. And I want to have that knowledge available to, to anyone who wishes to better themselves because I believe that will contribute to society, society in a greater way than if I were trying to cram knowledge down people sort of like, you didn't listen. Global warming. <laughs> rubble, yeah. rubble, the science. Rubble, 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 rubble. Rubble, rubble. So that's something I'm pursuing now. And oh my God, is it hard to qualify for a great and meaningful career that requires skill and practice and learning. Mm-hmm. And that applies to anything. And many of us stumble along the way. And so I hope that conversations like this help as we, as we stumble and as we trip and we realize we're having a hard time that it is in fact meaningful and worth it and our failures are something we can learn from and pick ourselves up from recover from and succeed eventually at should we put in the time and effort and that progress i believe whether or not you're on that path to success or whether or not there's an invisible failure in your future the striving the learning the progression in life is what will give us fulfillment Mm -hmm. and i believe we should encourage that there was a I just finished reading Ion, and there was a quote. It was the last last sentence of the whole book, and I thought it was really, really nice. It was, and this isn't verbatim, but everyone everyone should take the risk of hypothesizing in life and trying to find new answers to things and record those answers and, and give them along to other people. And one of the best things that you can do is to be wrong, because if you're wrong, then you've taken a shot at it. And if you're wrong, you're also one step closer to what the thing is not. Absolutely. So, and I, I thought that was really, really nice because I think that I think that happens a lot where people are really, really afraid of making mistakes and not succeeding at what they do and failing. But ultimately, that's what I always found in a way ironic about video games was that you always, when I used to play RuneScape, you'd always get XP for successfully cooking something, but the only times that I really learn in the kitchen are, are when I do something wrong. I mean, those are the big lessons, at least, when you, when you absolutely burn your chicken and it's leather the next time you're like, well, I guess I won't do that again. It's like, and we're going to set a timer yeah, yeah. or the oven 25 degrees. Yeah. Absolutely. Nothing, and this is a whole other conversation, nothing motivates you like horror and shame and, mm-hmm. and success as well. And, Unfortunately, we, we avoid some of that horror and shame. We're like, oh, God, I could never do that again. That was a horrible experience. But if you can, if you can get over that, failure is freeing. Mm-hmm. Every mistake is, is a learned opportunity. It's, you haven't failed when, when you haven't succeeded. You failed when you've given up. Right. I like that. When you've stopped progressing, when you've stopped trying to accomplish something, when you wedge yourself into a rut and give up. That is that is the only time I think that you've well and truly failed. 
Yeah, I I definitely think that once you stop, you've essentially, to an extent, given up on yourself. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that you're right that once once you learn to accept those failures and and you actually learn from them. And I was I had a lot of time over the past fourteen days to just kind of hang out, and it's been quite gloomy here. But I always thought to myself that on the other side of the cloud, it's bright, and and that's kind of a play on the. Silver the silver linings. lining, exactly. But not even taking that another step and saying, it's not just a silver lining, that huge dark cloud, there's not just a silver lining. The whole other side of that is as bright as it could be. And and I I started to think about that. Yeah. Heavenly light and <laughs> yeah, success exactly. and the warmth. But you need those contrasts. Mm-hmm. You need to struggle to succeed because if everything's handed to you in life as as technology and like wealth and I mean real wealth in terms of like survival necessities is just handed to us. We hit massive existential crises. Mm -hmm. Like back in the day, you didn't have, have a mid, you didn't have like a personal crisis until midlife. It was a whole thing. It was, it was everybody's midlife crisis. You hit 30, you had a career you didn't like, you had kids, you hit those fundamentals and then you looked at yourself one day and like, oh my God, I don't know anything about myself. I've just been following a routine and a pattern. Mm-hmm. And while those things have succeeded, you hit a point where you're like, who am I? What am I doing? Is this fulfilling? Mm-hmm. How many people go through massive career changes in their life as they, as they search for that? Right. And I think especially more so now is that, like you said, people are hitting that, that age earlier of what am I doing? Have I really learned anything about myself? And I think that who am I is an incredibly daunting question because mm-hmm. it requires a great deal of introspection. And then it requires some judge work or like guesswork. Mm-hmm. You've got to try stuff out in life. You've got to experiment. Like... It is hard to know who you are until you have find, found things that both satisfy and disgust you. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone's in that struggle, searching for purpose, searching for meaning, trying to define themselves. And, and that's what a, a midlife crisis is. And I, I do believe it's happening early and earlier. I believe some of the zeitgeist of, of transgendered stuff is an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. People are trying to define themselves in in new ways based on old ways. They're breaking molds and and they're experimenting. Mm-hmm. It's it's not always handled well by society, but uh, but it's progression, it's failure, it's advancement and we're coming a long ways I think in terms of a new cultural identity and purpose in terms of like a functioning society mm-hmm. and the old ways are like, no, no changes. That's, that's new and weird. Get it away. Yeah. And, and that's not going to work. You have to understand something. And to do that, part of it is letting people find themselves and express themselves and then coming to them and having a conversation and trying to understand you don't necessarily, like the man on the, the poll, you don't have to necessarily un- agree with 
their lifestyle or fulfillment or whatever, but but they found it, and and that is something admirable, admirable as we search for our own purpose and identity and meaning in life. Yeah, I think one of my one of my fondest memories of self discovery was there was this guy named Vince. I forget his last Lucini. I, I probably butchered that. It's Italian, I think, but his name is Vince, and he's this amazing human being and. He came to TRU and he was working with our volleyball team and he went around this he went around our our whole table, our whole team and asked people who they were and everything everything that people used to define themselves were external. So I'm a volleyball player, I'm a student, I'm a significant other, I'm this, we, I'm that. We define ourselves by the things we do. Exactly. And then and that that was something that he that him and I worked on a lot was how to define yourself with something that's consistent because then that worked, that helped me a lot two years later Personal when I, injury. yeah, cause I busted my Achilles and it was like, Whoa, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a volleyball player. That's anymore. not me anymore. Exactly. Right. And then, and I think that if, I think that if he wouldn't have been there for that, I think my life would have spiraled because it, I, inevitably I came to the conclusion that I really want to be, my, my, my mantra became, I, I am love. That's something I'm defined by is doing things that I love with people that I love and finding, finding the love in things. And that's what I think that the idea of meaning comes back where if you can love something, then, then you can give it meaning. And if you can love anything, then you can give meaning to your life in this way. That's more internal. You're, you're putting into things and you're, you're making yourself, you do, I think that you're doing more honorable things. You can make something that someone sees as, um, I wouldn't say rudimentary, but simple. Some some people might see something as simple and fundamental yeah, farming. Oh right. my god! It's exactly. What, yeah. What hard, seemingly ungrateful work it must be. And you talk to a farmer, he's like, "I am feeding thousands of people. Mm -hmm. I am allowing them to discover life for themselves because they don't have to do what I do." Yeah, and if you can, if you can find. If you can find meaning in doing things like that, then you can, it's really honorable. I think, I think people that are able to find love and meaning in everything that they do, I think that's really honorable. Okay. So, so anyway, so Vince, so yeah, I busted my Achilles and then I went through this whole phase of a true trainer, not just in volleyball, but in life. Hey, sports people, yeah. what you going to do after this? Yeah. And that was, so that was a huge thing was finding. And then the more that I, the more that I've learned, the more that I've read now it's, and then it turned to love and truth and and those were two fundamental cornerstones to my personality and then the more that i read older literature i understand that is logos and eros and not so it's not a romantic love or anything but it's a it's a more generalized love and the greeks had three different variants of love that went from there's the, the triad yeah exactly right if we've dealt with this there's like three kinds of love there's like platonic passionate and romantic i want to say I'm 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 sure I'm butchering that, but but uh, the short version is there are three kinds of love. Two of them together equals some kind of love, and then the triad together is what we what we'd like to be true love: mm -hmm. passion, commitment. Was that the third one? Yeah, passion, commitment, and and another one that I'm I'm absolutely losing. But it involves platonic love as well, right? And so, so yes, you can love people. I love my friends as I love my family. There's no sexual connection there, but I have deep feelings for them. I hope they go on. 
should their loss occur, I will grieve. Mm -hmm. And that was, over time, that's something that I found really useful past the volleyball, past everything else, because then everything's transient in this life. Everything's, it comes and it goes, it, it ebb and flows always. So if you don't have something to anchor yourself to you, then I think that it's really easy to lose yourself. And I think that's what ends up happening when people get injured and they kind of... I can't fulfill this purpose anymore. Exactly. I've lost the meaning in my life. Oh, God. Yeah. What do I do from here? Yeah, so then it becomes finding meaning in, in yourself. And that was something that I also experienced in Asia was that everyone... I found this really interesting everywhere, actually, but largely in Asia because I met so many people from different backgrounds, but everyone always... We want to compartmentalize people. So we see someone that that's tall and you expect basketball or whatever. So you always have these people that are, they want to put you into these boxes and they want to define you by different things. And I always found it, it, it irked me in a weird way that... Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't, at 6'2", I still can't hit a layup to save my life. <laughs> but, but people always ask you what team you played for, I'm sure. To an extent, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um Sports is the easy one with height, with girth. Mm -hmm. Oh, you must be an athlete. But uh, but people will make other assumptions about you as well. It amazes me throughout life and ongoing that I consider myself an introvert. I'm not like a huge party person. But once in a while, I can bust out that personality and enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But when that's what people see... That's how they start to define me. It's like, oh, you're outgoing. It's like, no, I want to stay at home and read, man. <laughs> I, this is my one outing for the day. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um... And so there, there can be some cognitive dissonance between that. Like, how do other people view me versus how I view myself? Mm -hmm. And so in searching for internal meaning and searching for pro purpose, and then hopefully in applying that purpose... We, we look for, to others for validation. Right, yeah. And, the, and that feedback, like, am I helping people? Like, as, as a teacher, nothing, nothing, like, raises the spirits. Like, having a kid go, oh, my God, I understand that now. Thank you. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, I affected someone's life. Yeah. Feels so good. And on the flip side, when you accidentally hurt someone, you're like, oh, God, no. I can... Mm -hmm. I don't want to have that effect on people. And it's like. Well, that was something that you mentioned earlier, the idea that you have to go out and find things that make you passionate and also things that disgust you. And I think that you also have to look internally into that. And by looking outwards, a lot of the time we can kind of see our own, we can understand how we treat people by looking outwards and how we act by looking outwards. So what I found in, Phoenix when I was there for the past five months was that people are really bad at social distancing and I went to Ikea and everyone's touching stuff. Nobody's wearing masks and everyone's really, really close proximity. And then I started to realize that I was doing those things. So then, then I made myself super aware of it. And then I would always look to other people and see what they were doing and try to understand if I'm doing that. But I do think that we have to look into ourselves to find things that primarily that we don't like. I mean, there are going to be lots of things that we do like about ourselves, but to, to achieve that, that higher version of ourselves, I do think that we have to find those things that stick out to us that we go, I don't like how I treated that person, or I don't like how I handled this situation. 
and um, there was this philosopher that I used to listen to a lot named Alan Watts, and he has a few really good books, but he he talks about this idea that you're a rascal. That's one of his two main philosophies. Like you're an absolute rascal, no matter what you say. There's you're 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 always looking out for yourself. You're the only person that matters. And and to an extent, to an extent, I think that people are are altruistic. But I do think I, I try to I try to jump off of that all the time. Where it's the fundamentals. Like if mm-hmm. you, if your fundamentals are not being met, that's when we degrade as animals. We go from like sentient feeling human beings as part of a society. To rabid animals just trying to feed and clothe and hide ourselves. I do think we're a lot closer to that than we than we've oh, yeah. led ourselves to believe. I think oh, that oh my god, are you kidding? There's tons of theories like one solar flare could wipe out all the technology. Mm-hmm. You wanna you wanna see how fast people will degrade then? Ooh. I I am both afraid and fascinated for when that day comes. Mm-hmm. Um this this plague is another variant on that like one explosion of of a serious contagion and society grinds not to a halt but is severely affected to the point where industries are having troubles how many people have lost their jobs we're realizing that Unfortunately, a lot of the literal scaffolding as opposed to the knowledge scaffolding like oh we can rebuild this shit later mm-hmm. but it is a house of cards to a certain degree. We, mm-hmm. You ever look at like the rise and falls of civilizations, it's, it's a cycle. Yeah. And so we make progress every time, but there's going to be a certain amount of collapse. Unfortunately. What I, I was talking to someone about this the other day and I tried to, I tried to develop a visual conception for, for what this is. And I think that our society is basically a, a bag that has a, a few holes here and there. And, and it's fine if everything's working properly, but first thing you put the weight of something, so you put, a, you, you put the weight of a pandemic on, you start to see where the air starts to escape from that bag. And those are our weak points. So in America, maybe it's the health system, maybe it's the, 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 social, um, the, the social net. We, we, you were talking about uh, the differences between Asian and Western cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the major differences I... I would say affects it is that Western culture is individualistic. Right. So as much as we've glazed over the general versions of purpose, we're focused on the individual. I'm expressing how I've searched for purpose, how you've searched for purpose, and we want other individuals to find this as well. That's mm-hmm. that's hopefully the point of this podcast to a certain degree is to give some people direction as individuals. Asian cultures are our society first. So they, they do value that higher purpose, but it's above the individual. So they, they put a bit more on self-sacrifice and social responsibility. So some, somewhere like Japan, which is an itty-bitty island mm-hmm. with a fuck ton of people, yeah. are doing better than us because every one of them are being responsible as part of a group and wearing masks Mm -hmm. and a lot of the the insane arguments you're hearing from down on the states are are individuals who don't want to wear a mask because it impinges on my day yeah right (laughs) i can't breathe the fresh air in the middle of a walmart (laughs) 
Yeah. I, um... and, and so we see some of the variances between cultures like that, but we both still give value to it. Like you still see Japan go like, oh my God, we have a social crisis where individuals no longer feel they are a part of something and withdraw. Mm-hmm. They, they have... Japan, like many places, has their own crazy words for stuff. But there, there is a term for working yourself to death. Mm-hmm. Of happen course, to, that would be a Japanese word, right? Oh, yeah. And, and it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But these people are doing it because they're not thinking of themselves as individuals. They are a cog in the wheel. And if they don't fulfill that role, they think it'll collapse. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they collapse. Right. And an interesting thing is how we view others in our society. Like you said, um, and we like to write people off. You were just talking about the neighbors. It's, it's the old Russian guy. Yeah. That is his whole story. That's, that's, he's, he's a little character in my, my little, um, absolutely. But I'm sure if we talk to him, he has been through some shit. Yeah. It's like, if he's straight up from Russia, he's like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, he has his plants, he has his flowers, goes out and listens to podcasts. It's like, yep, life can't be better than this, I'm sure. But while we're not judging him, we have compartmentalized. It's mm-hmm. the Russian guy across the street. It's the couple who likes to walk around naked. Yeah. It's, it's the neighbor who won't stop like mowing his lawn at 7 a.m. <laughs> on Saturday. That asshole. Um, because it's easier. Mm-hmm. We... Again, drawing back to to scaffolding, we like stereotypes because they're ways to to view the world, others, and try to define ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and unfortunately, it's a severe amount of effort to treat every single person as an individual and have care and thought for them. I used to be very empathetic, not just sympathy, but empathetic. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would feel shit yeah. just by, and I'm sure everyone can relate to those old adoption commercials with Alanis Martin in the arms of an, ad- oh God, my innards, <laughs> oh, the pain. Yeah. And I don't think we can withstand that as individuals, like to, if every homeless person causes a knot in your gut and you don't know how to change that or help them, even as from individuals to like the scaling epidemic of, of homelessness and despondency, depression, mental health, it can be overwhelming to try and help each individual person mm-hmm. and care about them. Right. Like... Like doctors, doctors do it all the time, seemingly, but they have to detach. They have, it is taught in nursing school and doctor school. You have, you are helping a patient. You can sympathize, you can watch, but you cannot empathize Mm -hmm. or your failures will eventually crush you. Right. And so naturally we're just like, oh, that guy. Mm -hmm. And and it can be very hard sometimes to, to, I suppose, rationalize that, continue to feel 
on and off about grand societies versus individuals and and I think every culture struggles with that to a certain degree. Yeah, I think that there was a really good point um, Malcolm Gladwell made in one of his books. I think it was called The Tipping Point. But it's this idea that humans have a capacity to live in a society of 150 people. We have, I believe, a memory for about 150 faces. Mm-hmm. And so what happens in actually in Amish, I'm not sure if it's Amish or I'm not sure what the other subset group is. We're we're talking about the super farmers who are like yeah. no technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amish. they'll they'll um, so they'll 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 break off when they get close to 150 people. They'll just split into two even groups because I think that a big issue with that is we we hold each other accountable within a group of 150 because everything that we do impacts one another and we remain individuals that you can help. Mm-hmm, exactly, it, you're you're both an individual oh. and you're within a society. So expanding on that, Dave is a toxic asshole. Mm-hmm. He's, he's treating women like shit. And a group of 150, you can come together and help that guy mm-hmm. on a personal level. On a grand scale with the internet, you're screaming into the void. Dave's another guy. Yeah, Dave's, exactly. Dave's just another asshole. Yeah. And it's easier to write him off than to try and address what are most likely his issues. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to, if you're in a group of 150 people, then then you need those people. You need to pull together to actually have a a functioning, efficient society. So if if one person deviates, and that was something I found really cool about Piaget, was that there are just these games that we play, and there are games at every single level. And if you're not playing the game, people notice. But people don't really notice if you're taking advantage of the game when you get above that threshold, because then then you can kind of go by unscathed. And there was a I'm not sure where I got this from, but it's it's this idea that if if farmers had cattle, then you could you could overeat, you could overgraze, you could use your cattle to overgraze. But if you're if you're in a small city, then or if you're in a small village, then no farmer is going to let their cattle overgraze graze because number one, they know how that's going to affect the others, and then number two, there they might be know ramifications exactly. They know how that's going to affect themselves. So so it's a little bit. It's a little bit narcissistic in a way, and that's the same as we were talking about with progress, where you want you want other people to develop things, even if you only care about yourself. So you want people to have opportunity, because if they have opportunity, then they can maybe make life a little bit better for you. And I think that's where a lot of environmental impact comes in, is that things are so big right now, and so we think people aren't really held accountable because there's too much going on to pinpoint anything but when, once you once you see these small communities, nobody's going to step out of line. Everyone seems to play the game properly because you need to play the game properly to grab everyone and move along with you. You need to understand a, a proper cycle of growth, rebirth. Mm-hmm. Like the expansion of society has has definitely distorted that to an unhealthy degree. We have become so vast that marginalized people are ignored because we don't think of them almost as part of society. Mm-hmm. But but if Dave's having a hard time and out of the 150, you can see Dave excuse me, having a hard time and you, and you can help him. Whereas in a grander society, 
we have uh, yeah we there's there's a thousand people homeless in downtown Vancouver and they've been trying to tackle that for years mm-hmm. without success and and so on a gro- grand broad scale it has unfortunately a lot of failures than if you were to deal with each person as an individual and help them with their problems because just like feeling for them all it unfortunately takes too much work mm-hmm. and there's too many people well, i'd wonder what would happen if instead of actually looking at people as individuals what would happen if you broke down the larger groups into smaller subsets so instead of breaking it down to one in a thousand, then you were to say work with that 150 rule. And they're doing that in Texas, actually. There's a guy doing that where he just bought a bunch of storage containers and made them into tiny homes. And they're just these communes for people that used to be homeless. And you have to do, you have to, you have to abide by certain rules to retain your tiny home. And you can't do drugs in public or drink in public. What you do in your own home, sure. But, Instead of, so when, when Dave gets butt naked and starts running around the commune, it's not, oh, that crazy homeless guy. It's, hey, it's let's, Dave. Oh God, what's happening? Yeah. Let's, Hey, let's go figure out what's going on with Dave. Let's, hey, let's man, help out Dave. Hey relapse? Yeah. What, what went wrong? Mm-hmm. How can we help? And that's a, that's a big thing with, I think especially with drug addiction is that there's not, there's not a huge community. And what happens is people fall back into a community of addicts and then, and then it's a vicious circle. It just perpetuates itself, right? And like, again, talking about my own struggles, uh, marijuana's. There's there's lots of arguments to be had, mm-hmm. like whether or not it is like profoundly addictive or non-addictive, whether or not it can be used medically or recreationally. I recognize that I can have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I have to lay off. And the best quote I heard, the problem with weed is, or any drugs, alcohol included, it makes boredom okay. Yeah, yep. And when you're bored is the time you should be searching for yourself, exploring new things, making progress, trying something out. And my God, have I wasted hours on the internet going, next video, (laughs) next video, next video. God, these cats are cute. (laughs) Oh my God! The scroll through Reddit is long and never ending. <laughs> yeah, the infinite, the infinite. Yeah, it is the infinite. Actually, that's that's what I would categorize as. That's your purgatory. So, so if you're well off, and I mean your fundamentals are taken care of, and and you find yourself bored, that's that's the time to be searching for meaning for purpose and for fulfillment in life. Mm-hmm. And when you turn to any mind altering substance, you're just you're just trying to patch that hole in the bag of your personal problems as more weight comes on, it's gonna bust. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself cough cough at thirty, like working kind of a bummer retail job and like kind of going to school and making progress but stoned far too much <laughs> and not making like the progress you realize you could have been mm-hmm. and and that's that's a struggle everyone i think deals with and so 
so there are different arguments to be made about drug use and that sort of thing because it can be amazingly experiential. Yeah, I, nothing like an acid trip to open your fucking mind. Right. Just don't do it like every weekend, man. Yeah. It's it's not it's not a good thing. I know the colors are pretty and like those moments of epiphany are great, but you're still in your room stoned off your ass. You have to learn from those experiences and then make progress. Mhm. I think that I think you make a few really really good points. So first off, the idea that we just have no idea what marijuana really is. We it hasn't we haven't we haven't done enough clinical studies. There's not enough research to actually say, hey, it's good for you. Hey, it's bad for you. It's this addictive. It's that addictive. I think it is addictive. I think it is quite bad for you in terms of carcinogens. Um, it freaks me out because I I do enjoy the occasional smoke because. It feels good. There's it's some, so interesting once in a while. And there, there, everything that we do in society is it's because it's worked before. Nobody's going out and eating random mushrooms they find because they're poisonous. People, you have to understand what's happening in the world around you and what's happened in the past for you to, to dictate your further actions. And the fact that people smoke cigarettes... Obviously, there's some, there's some rationale behind that. But what it used to be was there's a ceremony where you smoke. And in some way, it brings you closer to yourself or to God. It was meant to be spiritual. It exactly. was meant to be like an internal look, uh, a mind-altering substance so that you could gain a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that a lot of the times, when it, I think weed gives people anxiety because it's trying to show you something. And I had a... Because you're bored. Yeah. What's, like, I've, I've had one severe panic attack on weed. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's something you can deal with. You just have to identify why you're anxious. Mm-hmm. Is... The easiest one, I think, is like, oh, my God, I'm in public. Everyone can tell that I'm stoned off my ass. Oh, my God, they're judging me. Yeah. And there's like five other people like, calm the fuck down, man. I'm stoned, too. I'm just trying to shop here. It's my day (laughs) off. Relax. Deep breaths. Yeah. And so for something like that, what you're you're really afraid of is other people judging you or knowing. It's it's a self-conscious thing. Or perhaps if you're sitting alone, staring at your computer, stoned and panicking, I earnestly believe there's probably something else weighing on your mind that you should be dealing with. The weed is just enhancing that feeling of like internal turmoil Mm -hmm. and you try to cover it up. And instead what it's done is enhance it. So, So that's why I think the boosting anxiety from smoking marijuana comes from if you're relaxed if you're having a good time if you've got your shit at the very least for the most part together like a beer on the weekend having a smoke can can help enhance the relax ah sit down Mm -hmm. have a conversation let my mind wander because other stuff's taken care of it's it's when you're smoking or drinking on a daily basis to what you think is dealing with that anxiety about society and your life you're just you're just trying to patch those holes in a leaky bag of of your life Mm -hmm. and and it's not good it's not a solution it is it is patchwork and so 
I think we've been struggling with that for probably a thousand years. How long do you think alcoholics have been around? I think I think there's always been some kind of escape. Since we've had alcohol and yeah. you realize the right measurement to like consume but not kill yourself. Mm-hmm. So well, what happened what happens with alcohol is so it's an antineurotic and then for some people it's it's a dopamine agonist. So you feel good and you're less anxious. That sounds pretty great to me. That sounds like a like a pretty swell deal, and I think that's what happens when people become alcoholics. How do you how do you stop that? How do you tell someone that the thing that's making them less anxious and more outgoing and more of themselves in air quotes, like yeah, able right, to deal with the anxiety of being in public? And then and then you also say that it makes you feel great. It, yeah. it's it's really no wonder people people become addicts when. When, when you start I'm not to... getting that from my real life. Why, why would I stop? It's like, because it's not a positive source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the, the euphoria of just getting stoned is achievable like that. I, if I put my mind to it within 10 minutes from now, I can be stoned off my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't compare to, and it is not as truly fulfilling as real accomplishment Mm -hmm. something that you have to strive towards something you have to put effort in something that can hopefully affect other people positively yeah and and there when we come back to purpose and meaning those things are the real fulfillment that we're trying to strive for and it's a lifetime it's a lifetime of doing it and i can accomplish a similar sense in 10 minutes just by smoking a bit of herb Mm mm-hmm and so, so that's a problem to a certain degree. It's, it's so easy to cover up what might be legitimate anxiety, legitimate worry and shame. Emotions are semi-irrational. We have overreactions but we do have reactions for a reason. Mm-hmm. We feel certain ways. I'm anxious because I'm worried about something. Well, if you can recognize that, then that's something you should try to make advancements towards. Like, if I have some issues in a public setting, I'm not great within large groups of people, you know, beer helps me relax and get through that. But you should use that to get better in groups. Mm -hmm. Not be like, oh, alcohol was the solution. Alcohol just, let me calm down a bit. Let me start a conversation. And we forget that it's the conversation, it's the interaction that gives you that positive experience, not the alcohol. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really good point. You have to start working towards dealing with your anxiety rather than, and dealing with it in a, in a healthy manner where you, you kind of wrestle with it. and dealing with way. Yeah. It's, it's your dragon. It's the thing you have to slay. This thing that you have to go out and overcome it. And then you get the gold. And that's scary as shit because you might fail. Totally. And, and so how many times, not just like, failures but like successful people how many times is like ah beer just held you back 
that that little bit you're like you know what it's not worth the effort Mm -hmm. and i almost guarantee you it is well these things all they often seem a lot bigger than we are and even even things that we wish to achieve that's actually something that i found interesting is that the anticipation of achieving something is often greater than the moment that we achieve that thing when you work towards something you're working towards it and that that gives you positive affect there's fulfillment and progress. Yeah, exactly. And then once you achieve that thing, there's um, there's a book by Shinru Suzuki called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and he talks about this this philosophy of nothing special, that once you achieve something, it becomes nothing special because it just gets added to you, and then it's just another part of, of you whirling around and the personality that you are. And and there and that's that's a really cool thing I find about people is that people don't really think that their stories are super special because they've been exposed to them for their entire lives. But once you start talking to someone and just like the old Russian man across the way and the naked couple, I'm sure they both have incredible stories that mm-hmm. have led them to their points in their lives. But they're like, eh, it yeah. amazes me the amount of people who having come from a fairly happy home myself survive abuse, mm-hmm. ter- terrible experiences in, in their fundamental childhoods and learning experiences the ability to pe- of people to overcome that and in some cases unfortunately not but they're like that was my life mm-hmm. and you're like wow that's amazing you've accomplished so much and they're like that's my life they're like i probably could have accomplished more <laughs> and that's something we consider a tragedy that's that's why Drug, drug addiction horrifies us to a certain degree. We see that stunted person. Mm-hmm. And we stunt ourselves through giving into fear, through the unnecessary application of mind-altering substances. We, we hold ourselves back more than anything in our search for purpose and fulfillment. Yeah, we're not really... I don't think anyone has a good understanding of what would happen if you were to orient yourself in a proper way and move towards that goal. If you have a goal, if you were to do that, uh, I'm, I'm sure other people have this, but just this voice in their head that tells you when you're not doing something that coincides with your goals or your values. And it's that voice that's like, I don't think that was true. That was a lie. You're lying to yourself. Probably shouldn't be on Facebook right now. Go read a book, go do this, go do that. Like if you were to listen to that voice all the time, I'm I'm not sure where things would finish off for people because I think there's a think, positive feedback loop. I think a lot of people would would make progress, make excellent progress, and I think a, a subsection of people would run themselves into the ground with too much stuff. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, I have, and you see that with depression. Like, oh my god, I never accomplished this. Oh oh my god, I've never done that, and it stunted me as a person. It's like, hmm. A little bit, maybe, but you can't do everything. Mm-hmm. You can continue to try, but be reasonable. Yeah. And and I think that's some of where the anxiety comes from. Like, oh my God, I'll never accomplish everything. It's like, it's got to be okay at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, failure's got to be okay. Pick reasonable goals and make personal progression towards them. Yeah. And throw yourself into those goals. Because a lot of the time, I think people get that beginner's luck initially and then... And then you hit that plateau of a little bit of failure here and there and you burn out a little bit. And then from there you welcome to my life. <laughs> and then from, and then from there, a lot of people stop because 
they... Because it continues to be hard. And it's like, oh, it's not done yet. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, I thought this would be easy. This isn't it's not fun because it's not easy. But then there is some meaning in the difficulty of that. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think that's an, a statement I'd like to say to all our listeners is, in the end, it's not perhaps a specific accomplishment that is true, well and truly fulfilling and meaningful. It is, it is the progress and advancement and failure and success on the way to that that makes it so powerful within our lives mm-hmm. and so meaningful. So yeah, we've, we've tackled a broad, broad amount and and that's where it stands. Mm-hmm. Let us let us consider that what we're doing now is is a form of progress for both of us. I've never done a podcast. This is something new to me. This is exciting. There's some turmoil. Oh my god, I might say the wrong thing. Oh my god, I might affect people. Yeah. And and it's there's some anxiety involved, man. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I remember when I first started doing podcast and I haven't done this in I'd say almost a year. I took on a big I took on a lot of responsibility in the last two semesters and I get oh wow, that would have been I think before Asia. I think I left for Asia and that was my last podcast. Actually no that can't be right. So it's been a while. It's been a long time. Some might say you you failed to keep up with things. Yeah. But whatever that condemnation may be we're here today mm-hmm. we're making progress there's there's some stumbled blocks along the way but we're doing it we're trying yeah and that that i think will be more fulfilling to me like we did this mm-hmm. we sat down and tried more than any kind of logistics feedback of oh we got this many listeners right the only thing that might feel more is a few positive comments, mm-hmm. but but making this progress is is a good thing, is fulfilling, even if it's something small. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what we're here to talk about: finding that those meaningful things, communication, spreading knowledge, purpose in trying to accomplish that. And fulfillment and going like, yeah, yeah, I did that. I'm trying and it feels great. Mm -hmm. Whatever comes of this, this has been fun. This has been interesting and it's been a long time since I've I've had a a sit down and one-on-one talk. The idea that it could in fact be heard by many is, is even better. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's an interesting thing about this kind of thing is that it's equally for me personally, it's equally fulfilling and terrifying because like you said, you can say the wrong thing and have a backlash or you can actually affect people's lives positively. If that's, if that's even a thing, I mean, that's, that's obviously that's, kind of that's the goal. real frightening, isn't yeah. it? If people are like, Oh, you, you fucked up. You said some shitty stuff. You're like, Oh, I was wrong. But you know, what's even more frightening is when they kind of like, wow, man, you really changed my view on life. You, you helped me get through some shit. I never saw it this way. Thank you. And you're like, oh, it feels good, man. It is, it is frightening in its own sense, though. 
it is a little bit scary when when you do impact people positively because you I think that at that point where you start to give you start to give out to people and give out to the universe then you realize you actually have that potential and you have that capability and I think that that in itself it's is it's a daunting thing it's a, it's this huge responsibility With great power comes yeah. great responsibility yeah exactly you know and you're like oh my god I I have that potential and so many people do mm-hmm. and I think that's where some like depression and anxiety comes from is is perhaps from that realization and the idea that we may not live up to our full potential we may not accomplish everything in life and I think unfortunately that holds too many people including myself back once in a while mm-hmm. and so once in a while you just gotta be like Hey man, you still down for that podcast? Hell yeah, I'm down for the podcast. And it goes from there. One thing that I thought about, I thought about a lot as I started to coach more was this idea of having an impact on people's lives. And obviously it's, to me, I I visualize it as you're, you're a drop in an ocean and the ripples. Yeah. And then you, you ripple out to people. And then I think it's Confucius had that quote of they're, they're, Two times you die, once when, once when your body fades and once when you are forgotten. Exactly, and and then I started to think about it. I guess a little bit more um, optimistically. Of, I don't think that anybody ever dies as long as the lessons that they teach people are able to impact others. So, you teach someone something, and then they're able to use that lesson that you've taught them, and they teach someone something, and and that goes on infinitely. And that's ultimately what culture is. Like we're it's we are the echo of generations and that's not ceasing everything that comes everything in our past has impacted us and everything in our future we will hopefully have some kind of impact on and hopefully that hopefully that's exponential if i would say that if the message is strong enough and utters the truth then it will impact more people and those people will impact more people and in that way there's exponential growth of hopefully this positive message absolutely absolutely when you can when you can see subsequent generations learn and change and make their own progress feels good man Mm -hmm. that's something i hope to accomplish with with the librarian thing i am preserving knowledge for subsequent generations to learn from and when did you so when did you decide that? What was the what was the catalyst for that decision? Oh god. Uh let's see. What's the short version? I I was intelligent as a kid, mm-hmm. but not that smart. So I had capacity and shit was easy. Mm-hmm. I coasted my way through most of high school and it wasn't super fulfilling. It, I wasn't putting in effort. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was just passing grade. That's, that's my average. That's fine. That's that's the usual. But I wasn't trying, and so around grade eleven, I took a real dip. I I tapped out. I was not happy. I consider it my my existential crisis. Mm-hmm. What do I want to do? Who do I want to be? And I didn't particularly like myself at the time. I. I went to the fundamentals. I just got a shitty retail job that I did 
I had minor goals. I went and visited Europe with my father, did that for a month, saw some different cultures and people, went back home, continued to work the same shitty retail job, getting stoned every day and not making any progress and realizing past the abuse of marijuana that even when stoned, God, I was bored as shit. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with my life? I, this isn't fulfilling. And, and that's when the search began. So I, I just went back to university. I, I, I upgraded some of my shittier grades. I got back into learning and I found I really enjoyed that. And I looked back on my life and w- looked at phases I'd gone through. I used to be really into dinosaurs really into dinosaurs i was going to be an archaeologist at one point Mm -hmm. i was going to go through them stuff oh but that's like a seasonal job and you're in the sun all day and it's brushwork and you can have some fun with that but i didn't while an interest i didn't see a purpose in it and so i continued to review my life and what i liked and i found that i loved books so i'm i'm again i'm old now so the internet didn't come out until I was in my early teens. Mm-hmm. And my parents really encouraged reading. And I loved getting lost in books. Like, that was my escape. Mm-hmm. Before drugs, before video games, before the internet, books were my escape. I loved a good story. And I loved the learning. And I looked back on that and reflected. I was like, I love learning. Maybe I'll love teaching. And I've done some volunteer stuff in my time. And kids grade on me a little too fast for me to be the right mentor from them. I'm not going to be an elementary school teacher. God bless my mother and the talent she has for those little rascals. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think I would, in the end, tap out too soon and perhaps become too frustrated and was like you can't learn the math yeah why jimmy why he's like i just want to go outside and run <laughs> and you're like that's also a healthy choice but you gotta you gotta learn the math and and force feeding information to people i don't think is the right way to go about it we we think about climate change the amount of science that's come out the amount of people that don't believe it and you're like, why won't you see the yearly arc of like weather changes that mm-hmm. we believe we have invoked? And there are people like, nope, nope, nope. And for whatever you believe, whatever knowledge may be out there, there are some people who will be in denial. And you're never going to teach them all the same thing, get them all on the same page. Some may not have the capacity for it. Some will absolutely refuse and just resist whether or not they believe or want to mm-hmm. and that's sort of where I stalled out until I realized I just love the books I loved recommending a good science fiction novel I loved learning from that shit and bookstores used bookstores particularly were mm. always a fun place for me because you could always find a nugget of gold something that looked real interesting something that you could take away from and I was like that that looks real good and i was like what can what careers accomplish this and librarian was was my answer 
Archivist is is a real close second. What's an archivist? Archivist. Yeah. So like someone who works in the archives. Okay. So I want to be a librarian. I want to be up front. Mm -hmm. We have these books. Let me show you how to use the computer system. What are you into? Let me recommend you this. I hope you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. An archivist is more in the museum line of things. So they they repair stuff. They preserve it. Mm. They're they're more storage oriented, storage and organization versus librarian, which is also storage but distribution. Right. And I think that I saw as preserving and providing knowledge that fulfilled a higher purpose. It helped people improve their lives. And it didn't seem to me as something that would really grow tiring. I could, what, what would I do on the librarian job? Recommend books and continue to read. That sounds amazing to me. What, like as and higher purpose, I'm preserving it for society. I'm helping other people. Mm -hmm. And that, that rang true to me. And I was like, that's a goal. I'm in university. We'll start working towards that. And that's what it's been. And so we try to define ourselves by what we do. And that's how I've defined a portion of my life recently, is trying to progress towards that goal. And I've stumbled, and I'm trying to pick myself back up now. Mm -hmm. And it feels good. It's progress. It's a goal to reach towards. And I'm sure it will be mundane when I'm finally at that desk going like, what's been released this month for books that I can review and add to the collection? It'll seem mm -hmm. mundane, but as I do now, and I hope then, I will hold on to the ideals of providing something greater through that career than merely feeding myself. Right. And I consider myself very lucky to have found that outlet, found that goal I can progress towards. Even if I don't make it, even if I deviate along the way, that's something that seems meaningful to me and I can, I can make progress towards. Mm -hmm. And that's what's kept me going in recent years. And so it, it, it can be a struggle to find like a career that fulfills broad goals and ideals. So I got lucky and I'm hoping that even if it is a generalized and broad description of like being part of something greater, that people can find their interests, find that greater meaning, and then combine those two and hopefully find a career. And if not, learn some skills and do that for a job while doing something that you're passionate about on the side. Right. And you can always bring, even if you don't find a job that you particularly like and that gives your life purpose, if you can find meaning in that job, then you can take the skills that you learn from there and transfer them on to the next job because you're just building into yourself. But what, what, what you're saying about being a librarian, I think is really cool. I have a friend named Randy and the dude's a genius. Um, he thinks very, very differently and he's full of esoteric knowledge. And, um, and he always talks about magicians and how, and we, we always get into these cool conversations about how, people that have really, really defined knowledge in a specific field 
at some point you just become a magician and you do, th- you do things that other people can't do. Other people don't know anything about. And you can always just step in and say, Oh, th- this is how you do this. And, and I, I, I'm on the same boat as you. When I was a kid, I always liked going to use bookstores and, uh, I did poorly in school. My, my, I had the similar development of, you were, you were the kid who wanted to go run outside. Yeah. Oh man, was I ever, um, yeah, I did really, really bad in school. And then kind of I decided to pick it up in university because I realized that I wasn't dumb, which I thought that I was throughout my whole childhood. I was I was under this impression that I was this really, really dumb kid. And then I hit university and kind of could control things a little bit more and realized, oh, I just wasn't you're doing... You're making choices for exactly, yourself. Exactly. When you're right. in you've got to get up at this time, eat breakfast, get on the bus or drive to school. And you got to do this, 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 and this throughout the day. You have very little autonomy Mm -hmm. and so you see a lot of frustrated kids especially ones with natural athleticism and a lot of energy going like i don't want to sit down and read i want to run i would run around my classroom and get suspended all the time but uh, yeah i think that i found that i enjoyed consuming knowledge when i got to university but the education system exactly the education to that point just shoved knowledge down my throat whereas I was able to consume the knowledge that I wanted to, and it was... Find something that interests you and pursue it. Make mm-hmm. make that personal progress beyond getting information just crammed down your throat. Yeah, and so now... And I, I always loved to use bookstores when I was a kid, so I go, to, and I go to them now, and I could hang out and use bookstore for hours. And I go to ABC down the way and Andrew's Book Company, and I, I could talk to... I could talk to the people at the counter just forever because they're they are wizards, and they just have. You know this author, this author. Mm-hmm. Have you read this series? Oh my god, I recommend this. It's like, how do you have the time to read? It's like I'm here all day and I love this shit. Yeah, I uh, I I left a I left a little notepad for the guy just to. There are a few authors that I was like, hey, would you mind? And I think that they're pretty. They're not they're not well known through academia. They're more. The mass-produced classics. You, they're they're outside of that realm, exactly. So, so I, I put these down. I wasn't sure if you'd know what they were, and then there were a few of them where he's like, "Oh, what books do you want from them?" And and so I'd tell him what book, and he's like, "Okay." So I I, I thought that was interesting that these these authors themselves are so rare. Niche. Exactly. They're very very niche, and then in that realm the. Knowing this, the particular books, then I I think the guy's a wizard. I think all, yeah, like I said, librarians is a, a form of sorcery in itself. It it sounds good because I've 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 seen a greater purpose in it as opposed to just like oh I work a a desk job at the local library mm-hmm. collating files and pointing people to sections. Tuesdays I read Harry Potter for the thousandth time to a group of small children. <laughs> Yeah, you know, someone can get super bored with that and like lose, lose faith. As as with any like skilled job, it it can become mundane, and you have to find that higher purpose in it mm-hmm. to to find fulfillment for yourself. And you do want to be making progress. Like right now, I can I can foresee the progress I'll be trying to make as a librarian is the transition between paper and electronics and trying to find the the proper middle ground between those things. Because if we're purely electronic, 
I think we're going to have a chance to lose it all. Mm-hmm. But you can see how libraries have expanded these days. Hell, they carry video games, music. I heard of one library who had expanded into essentially random shit. Mm-hmm. Do you need to borrow like a camper tent? We've got that. <laughs> it's a Canadian tire library hybrid nowadays. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard of book or, uh, sorry, bike libraries. Uh, hmm. they've tried that as, um, business models, rent a bikes, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But the like, the bike library was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And so we get, we also get something like downtown where our library is essentially part of our art museum. Yeah. And, uh, and I think those two things are, are very close in terms of like finding ways and to express yourself, seeing how others have done it, becoming mm-hmm. inspired by the creations of those that have come before us. Yeah, I definitely think art is something that we're going to start to develop a little bit more as, as, we, as we feel that freedom from the necessity to survive. Mm-hmm. Is that, I actually, I don't know, because... I think that the fight for survival breeds art. And then at the same time, we're obviously given a little bit more time in itself to, to put ourselves towards that goal of producing art to express ourselves. Exactly. Right. So I think it's somewhere in that middle ground there of, are we surviving enough that we can still produce beautiful art that, that pushes that culture forward? And I think part of that expression and what you're afraid of in terms of overcoming art, Mm -hmm. that is the wrong phrase, absolutely. You should never overcome art, bypass or degrade art, I think is the right way Mm. to put it. I think we're afraid of that because it also implies that we are bored. Right. That we figured it out, that we're done. Mm -hmm. That there's, there's no need to to draw any more art because it's, it's all been expressed in the past. No, we want personal expression. Yeah. Like, and, and the fear of, of boredom and the fear of being done implies that we're dying. That there's, there's nowhere else to go. If we finished life, what else is there but death? And that's a horrifying and motivating concept. That's something that always freaks me out a little bit is the death of progress. Just that idea. I'm, I, don't, I don't think that there's ever going to be a society that reaches that. And it would be a pretty bleak society at that. But that sounds like a very um, Huxian dystopia. I guess, I don't know, because Brave New World I thought was somewhere between dystopia and utopia. Just this idea that everyone's put into their category and there's no moving up or down. So you're just stuck where you are. Stasis. Exactly. There's no progress. Every day I get this routine at my job and then I come home and then I make dinner and I go to sleep and I go to work the next day. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a hell of its own creation. It's, it's your purgatory. I think that's what, I think that's what Dante was getting towards was that that's purgatory. There's a, a good philosophy. I've forgotten who said it. I, I think I heard it most recently from, from Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. Heaven and hell are of our own creation. Mm. You can live in either one now, depending on how you use your life. Right. 
and it's it's of our own creation you can meet people in terrible circumstances a horrible upbringing they're happy people Mm -hmm. they they have made progress they are fulfilled in life and it's it's weird sometimes to see other people's progression like can i accomplish that for myself how do i accomplish that for myself i hope my librarian story may have touched a few people but by the same token as the man on top of the pillar for 10 years a lot of people aren't going to find that fulfilling Mm -hmm. and stasis is frightening because it would imply that they'll never find that for themselves right so it's bogging down in the swamp and letting the moss cover you up yeah so so a good healthy dose of fear can get you motivated mm-hmm. um, in terms of art expression it's it's emotion i hate to quote nietzsche because he's kind of a douchebag but <laughs> suffering is life no emotions are life mm-hmm. um, to feel is to live or else you're just walking around and that's where some of the greatest arts and like expressions come from from like enter even if it's like the entertainment that movie has become less so art mm-hmm. it's still creation and expression and we we feel for our heroes and heroines and the tragedies that befall them and it inspires us and so so emotions are a huge thing i think that we are slowly beginning to address in terms of mental health and once we have begun to acknowledge emotions i think we can start to use them positively i think many of us use emotions well but a great deal of time we we don't know how to manage them we don't know how to manage the anxiety and the fear and how to use that to make progress in our lives, to overcome the things that inspire that fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've talked a bit about making life progress. Right now, I'm, I'm also challenging myself with physical progress. So I went super fundamental. I've always been a scrawny guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Around 30, I started getting warnings from other guys that second puberty was coming. So, hormone haven't, changes. Haven't heard of been, that. Yeah, you've been sitting at a desk job for too long. Your body starts to change. Hormones happen. You get a gut. Mm-hmm. That's, that was their joke about second puberty. Really what it is, you're dying. <laughs> you've, you, you are well and truly growing until... Your mid twenties, mm-hmm. early thirties, like that's when brain development finally stops. Not until then. That's why you shouldn't abuse alcohol. But my point is that that is the up to that point is when your body will naturally physically progress. Mm-hmm. I hit thirty and I realized I was starting to degrade. The sounds in my knees were not good. <laughs> uh, and you know what's interesting? It sparked a bit of fear. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm dying! Oh my, oh my God, I'm starting to degrade. And not it, not even that I could hope for a swift death. It's that it's a slow, prolonged decay. And I realized that 
just like I was trying to tackle that in my mental health, finding purpose, I was experiencing it physically. And so I've started working out, making progress towards that, and realizing that those two aspects are far more intertwined than we believe. We like to separate mind and body, personality and the flesh that we ride. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can. It's fun to theorize about, but when you're living your life, you have to realize that there is physical progression and mental progression. And so you see a lot of mental health stuff along with physical health stuff. And I think they're interwoven when it comes to dealing with emotions, dealing with health, dealing with personal progress. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a mess because it is. It is in my head. It is in society. And we have to try and hash that out. And it begins like this. Talking, trying to make progress. And... I suppose I don't particularly know where to go with that from here, aside from continuing to try, continuing to put in the effort or to like work out the knees, mm-hmm. get the thighs going again, and, the, and noticing progress and feeling good about that and realizing as simple as, as the workout is over a couple months to make positive physical progress, making mental and behavioral steps to improve your life and make those changes will also have great progress and positive effects. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it too is that if you're able to orient yourself in several different facets of life, then, then those will actually end up pulling each other because everything's a little bit tethered to one another. So if you have a really good family life and a really good school life and you're working on your body and your mind, then all of those things are intertwined to an extent. And if one falls behind a little bit, then the others can still pull it along. And I think it's when you only have one or two things that are the cornerstones for your life. And one of those falls, then you, your whole structure is based on this other column and it becomes very, very fragile and very, very easy to fall apart. So I think that, I think, for me personally, physically, um, I have a very, I'm very, very connected to my body, largely because of what happened with my Achilles. Um, you were an athlete. That's how yeah. you defined yourself. Well, even, and suddenly that cornerstone was gone. Yeah. Even, even, um, even in terms of a self-awareness, anytime that something clicks or a part of my body hurts, it's immediately the thought of like, oh, whoa, that that could have been it. That could have been my leg. That could have been my knee. That could have been my shoulder. That could have been a whole another year of rehab or whatever. So I, I always try to take care of my body mostly because I'm afraid. I, I really enjoy you exercising. You that decay, huh? Yeah. It's like, and it's right there too. And once you, once you shine a light on that, you, it doesn't go away. And so for me, it was my Achilles was, everything was fine. Took one step and it just popped. And now, so if I take a step and my knees crack or something, it's always like, whoa, that could have been it. We don't, we don't know. And I think that's something that's really 
scary but also driving it's one of that pull that push pull factors where you live in denial or you try to deal with it yeah and then but first thing no, nobody knows when they're going to die no. nobody expects that they're going to die just know that it's going to happen yeah and that's why it's scary as shit yeah so when what happened with me was that it happened and and i had no idea it was going to happen that early and and now i always think like, whoa what, what's what's going to be the thing what's the next thing What's the next, when's that next cornerstone of your life going to crumble and collapse and throw you into chaos and the unknown? And I think, I think the denial, when, when you realize that you have two options, you can, you can pull back because you're afraid or you can push forward because you realize it's going to happen anyway to a mm-hmm. certain degree. And now, now is the time to make progress. And, and I think we deal too much in the fear. Mm-hmm. We let that hold us back too much. It can, as you said, be, be motivational or a hindrance. And, and we have to find that within ourselves. And sometimes it takes support. Yeah. And that, that, a lot of that comes down to risk assessment as well, because there's, there's risk on both things. So there's, a, there's a positive and a negative to everything that we do. I mean, if you don't go to the gym, then you have the opportunity to hang out at home and read and you could you could go on facebook get stoned whatever you can do anything you want and that's that's a benefit in itself sure but then you're also losing something else and then if you go to the other place then that there's a perceived benefit there and then there's the negative that you're losing something somewhere else so it's not there's always risk there's always risk reward everywhere you go there's the 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 predator the there's the cat in the bush on both trails and you got to pick which one you, you think is going to inevitably push you into the right direction. Yeah. And even as you're standing at the fork, the cats are coming closer. Yeah. You're going to have to fight one of them. You may as well make the first move. Yeah. And that's, and that's the, the search for meaning. The search for purpose is picking which that's battle. first move. Yeah. You got to pick the battle that you want and take the first step. Always the hardest step. Yeah. But you know, you know what the most important step is? Hmm. The next one. Good point. That's that's something I'm dealing with now. I did a little thing. Fantastic. It's become mundane. Now we're on to the next Yeah, step. nothing special. And then going for that next special thing until it's nothing special. Exactly. And and it's a lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's That, I think, is, is the great answer to the search for meaning is the search. The effort the the purpose in doing something anything really can be fulfilling and meaningful if you search for it that was beautiful you want to cut there i think so i think that that's a great way to round this out uh i hope we've said a few things that'll touch from people even if it's it sounds cliche always sounds broad in general but as individuals, we can do it. You can do it. I'm doing it now. I hope I will be doing it tomorrow, and I hope you will too. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. That was really Thanks special.